You know, one of the, uh, one of the blessings of preaching at a church where a lot of family attend is uh, they don't really tiptoe around you just because you're the preacher. And so after last week's message, uh, Aunt Jane caught me and she said, when are we going to get to some solutions? Because, I mean, you've been talking about the problem for two weeks, and, and I know what the problem is. I've been living the problem. I need some solutions. And so I told her, I'm like, well, good news. We got solutions. Thank you so much. We got solutions coming, and they, they start today. We're going to start today looking at um, four different practices. When I look at all four today, we're going to start with the first one today. Four different practices that will help us eliminate hurry sickness from our lives. Or at least soften hurry sickness in our lives. And hurry sickness, we defined last week as like trying to achieve more and more stuff or accomplish more and more stuff in less and less time. Or trying to participate in more and more activities in less and less time. And it's not healthy. It's not good for us. Um, we, when we are in a hurry, we tend to be less loving, less kind, less peaceful, less patient, um, less gentle, less self-controlled. If you recognize that list, I'm, I'm quoting from Galatians chapter 5 right there, the fruits of the Spirit. And if you're familiar with the fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, Paul says, if the Spirit of God is living in your life, then these are the things that will be in more abundance in your life. If the Spirit of God is living in your life, the more you yield to His Spirit, the more loving you become, the more kind, the more joyful, the more peaceful, the more patient, the more gentle, the, the good, the more faithful, the, the more self-controlled. And I think all of us would agree that when we're in a hurry, we can't do those things. Like, I'm not a very loving person when I'm in a hurry. I'm not a very peaceful person when I'm in a hurry. I'm not a very patient person when I'm in a hurry. I'm not a very self-controlled person when I'm in a hurry. And so what we're talking about in this series is, is really important stuff. I mean, this is not like, uh, it's not like a TED Talk or, you know, like a self-help stuff. Like, oh, yeah, you know, busyness. Yeah, I need to slow down a little bit. I mean, it's our spiritual lives are at stake. And relationships are at stake. And our, you know, emotional health is at stake. It's really, really important stuff that we're digging into uh, in this series. And, you know, we, most of us feel like my aunt. It's like, well, what do I do about it? You know, I know, I know there's a problem. Like, I, I'm, like Amy was talking about, like, I'm overwhelmed by the solution. Like, what do, I, what do I do about it? How do I stop this madness? And the, the simple answer, and I say simple because it is a simple answer, but it's difficult to do, is we have to learn how to accept the invitation of Jesus because Jesus is inviting us to slow down. And we, we've talked about this one several times, and I probably I told you it was going to make an appearance in every sermon. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation. That's an invitation to all of us who are feeling overwhelmed and, and hectic and frazzled and out of control. Jesus is saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that word yoke is, refers to, I mean, it's a, like the yoke that would go on an animal, like a, a a wooden harness or something that would, at that time, that would go on an animal that would pull a plow or a cart. And it was a metaphor that the rabbis used for their teaching. So they would refer to their teaching as their yoke. It was the way that they interpreted the Torah. 
And Jesus is comparing, contrasting his yoke or his teaching with the yoke of the Pharisees. The yoke of the Pharisees was very burdensome. You know, people felt overwhelmed by the number of commands that the Pharisees put upon them. And Jesus is saying, my teaching is not that way. My teaching is easy. My teaching is light. And it's an invitation. To, and the, the, the scriptures attest to this in other places as well. John, who's probably one of the closest disciples uh, to Jesus in the letter that he wrote, that First John chapter 5, verse 3, he said, his commands are not burdensome. And uh, unfortunately, that's not the way we, taught, we were taught to think of commands. If you grew up like I did, we were, you know, the preachers and the, and the elders or, or the bishops or the priests or whoever it was, the religious authorities in our lives did not teach us that his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not easy. We were taught that his commands were burdensome, and there were so many of them, and you felt guilty about when you didn't adhere to all of them and that kind of thing. And Jesus is saying, I'm not, this, Jesus is not trying to put more on us. Jesus is trying to take something off of us. So he's not trying to burden us with more commands. He's trying to help us, trying to relieve. Jesus is actually calling us to less. Jesus is calling us to rest. The problem is we can't really slow down long enough or turn down the volume long enough to hear what Jesus is calling us to do. And so that's what these practices are designed to do. So what we're going to look at the next, the rest of this month, we're going to look at one practice every Sunday that is designed to help us turn down the noise or slow down long enough to hear the calling that Jesus has on our lives. And the first one, the one that we're going to look at today is a silence and solitude. So I want to ask you a question to start out. Silence and solitude. How many of us are comfortable with silence? My heart rate's going up right now. If you could feel it, like I, I, can, I, can, I can feel it going up. Just because I, I don't know how to be silent. <laughs> I mean, it's like that was supposed to be 30 seconds. I couldn't make it 30 seconds. I was going to like stop for 30 seconds and make everybody really awkward and uncomfortable. I'll just have to explain it to you because I couldn't stop for 30 seconds. I could only stop for 15 seconds. I, silence is so uncomfortable to me, and it's so awkward. Anytime there's silence, it's, I, I try to fill that space with something. Like the, the moment, two weeks ago, I went to a Mount Pleasant football game, and uh, they had a moment of silence rather than prayer, you know, a moment of silence at the beginning of the game. I do not like moments of silence. <laughs> like, I, I really wish somebody was praying instead of a moment of silence, just because I'm uncomfortable, because five seconds into it, I'm going, I wonder how long they're going to go. I wonder how long he's going to do this. Wow, this is getting uncomfortably long. Somebody needs to say something. Did he forget that he would us all be silent? Like there's just, it, it, the noise just starts as soon as it starts. I was talking to a pastor this week, and we were, I was checking references on Hope Center. And so I asked him a difficult question, and he was thinking about his answer. It was like 15 seconds of phone silence, which is, feels like 15 minutes of phone silence. I mean, he's I'm like, hello, are you still there? You know, I'm like asking him more questions. I'm trying to answer the question for him. I mean, it's just, we're, we're so used to noise. If you think about how often you really just have silence, I mean, like silence, like there's no noise in our lives. And we're so used to noise and activity and always going and always doing and always something. We, a lot of us don't know how to do it. I mean, if we, if we have silence, we go turn the TV on so there's at least some background noise. Or we, we turn on the radio so there's at least some background noise, even if we're not paying attention to it. Because we just don't know how to be silent anymore. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us 
to do something that he routinely practiced in his life. And this is what I started doing this week. You know, last week we looked at two of the examples of Jesus, you know, withdrawing by himself. In Mark chapter 1, after his first day of ministry, it was really crazy, hectic, and busy. And Jesus withdrew. And we looked at this verse right here, this Mark verse 35. You know, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And this was right after a super busy day of ministry, one of his busiest days of ministry. And, and so his response, once he had a busy day, his response was to follow that with rest. Was, his response was to follow it with uh, silence and solitude. And it's, you look at the language in this verse of silence, because it says very early in the morning while it was still dark. I mean, that's, I don't like getting up while it's still dark, but that is the quietest part of the day. I mean, before anybody else is up and before all the activity, nope, nobody's calling you at that time of day. Nobody's texting you at that time of day except your dad. Uh, nobody, like, you know, dad texts at 6 in the morning. Sorry, dad. Um, nobody is, uh, like, it's, it's just quiet at that time of day. And it's the, the, probably in the evening it's the same way. If you, I don't stay up that late, but if in the evening it's the same way. But he talks about, you know, going off to a solitary place. Jesus was by himself. He got away from the crowds and was by himself. And I started looking for all the places in Scripture where Jesus did this because he did this throughout the Gospels and he did this throughout his life. And I ran across uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, which basically tells us Jesus did this all the time. And so Luke's an historian. And so Luke would research Jesus' life. And Luke tells us, hey, Jesus he did this quite a bit. Uh, it says, uh, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus practiced silence and solitude. The bigger the crowds got, the more often he withdrew. The more pressing the needs were upon him, the more pressing the demands, the more often he withdrew. And I don't know about this, so I'm going I'm to... I'm going to take a guess here because I, the scriptures does not say this. I'm just going to guess that when Jesus withdrew to lonely places, he did not take his phone with him. I'm just guessing that he did. I think he probably left the phone at the house and was by himself. Because a lot of times when we're by ourselves, we're by ourselves with our screen. And that's not by ourselves. We still got all the demands. We still, it, it could buzz at any minute. I leave mine back in the sound booth, right, you know, when I'm preaching. But, uh, you know, like it could buzz at any minute. Somebody could need me or want me at any minute. Somebody, you know, Facebook could say, hey, but you, look, you haven't looked at us in a while. Do you know what's going on? You know, they got all these algorithms and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And there's something we can learn from that. The louder it got, the more he built in times of silence and solitude. And the commentary I was studying this week said there were nine different instances in the, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus did that. I couldn't find all nine, so I'm, I, I'm just going to have to trust the commentary. But there were nine different times that Luke tells, hey, Jesus had a busy day, and he followed it with some quiet. Jesus had a busy time, and he followed it with some solitude. Uh, one of them that I found that was really interesting was, goes back to that feeding of the 5,000. And, you know, Matthew and Mark both tell different versions of that story. Same story, but just different perspectives. And Mark tells about it in a way that I had not caught. When I read Matthew's version, there, there was actually, it, the, the feeding of the 5,000 started with rest. Like Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, hey, we just, we got to get away and have some rest. And then all these people showed up, and they couldn't get away and have some rest. And then they took the rest at the end. But take a look at the way Mark says it. This is the beginning of Mark. It says, the apostles gathered around. This is right before the feeding. 
the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And this is before the feeding of the 5,000. This is, like, it is so busy. He's describing, they didn't even have a chance to eat. I mean, they're telling him all this stuff. It's this very, very busy season. It's a very, very busy time. And so Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So it's not just something Jesus practiced. It's something that he taught his disciples to do. And I guess we could look at this as an invitation or a command. Uh, but either way, Jesus is telling his disciples, you, you've got to slow down. I mean, he knows we need this. You've got to slow down. You just, I mean, his disciples are coming back. Oh, here's all the stuff going on. Here's a, what have you had to eat? Oh, nothing. We can't, we can't even stop to eat. And Jesus like... Jesus' answer to all their busyness wasn't to celebrate it and to say, let's go do more. Jesus' answer to all their busyness was, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Because he knows they need this. He knows they need this in their lives. And it could be that Jesus is inviting us to the same thing. Verse 32 says that's what they did. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So they took Jesus up on the invitation and they went to rest, but not for long. Look at the way the story develops. So Jesus says, come to me, get some rest. They went to get some rest. Verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They were in a boat going across the other side of the lake. Ran ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. But after all of that, so it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a good lesson that sometimes our best laid plans for rest and quiet get interrupted. Even Jesus got interrupted. Like Jesus, Jesus was getting ready to have his quiet time, and uh, he got interrupted. You know, the crowds ran ahead. That happens. That's going to happen. Sometimes a sick toddler is going to interrupt our, you know, hey, this is my silence and solitude time. I'm sorry, but you've got to throw up some other time. You know, like that, that, you just can't do that. Like this, I'm sorry. That's, that's part of it. Sometimes work's going to interrupt that. I mean, Scott, Scott Albert showed up this morning to run sound, and there was a fuse out, and uh, we had no sound anywhere. I'm guessing it was not a quiet morning for you, Scott. I mean, it was, it was probably a very hectic, hectic, stressful morning. And that was just, he just did what he had to do in that moment. But you got to go get some rest after this service is over, okay? Well, after the second service is over, you got to get some rest. Because we've got to follow those hectic, crazy, stressful times with, with rest. That's what Jesus, because that's exactly what Jesus did. After, after he got interrupted and he had this hectic, crazy time, Verse 46, it says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Once again, he went by himself to pray. So we see this all throughout uh, Jesus' life. And the point is obvious. When we see the command of Jesus and we see the example of Jesus, the point is obvious. But I'm going to say it anyway. If Jesus felt the need to do this in his life, wouldn't you think we should do that in our lives? Like if the, if the Son of God had to take a break... If, you know, the Son of God had to occasionally take a break and clear his mind and, and get rested and get reset and recharge the batteries, wouldn't you think that we might need to do the same thing? Because we're Christians, right? And, and being a Christian is not about adhering to a certain set of doctrines. It's not about you know, being baptized in a certain way. It's not about which particular church you go to or denomination you belong to. Being a Christian is about following the ways of Jesus. So a Christian is a a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. We follow his yoke. We follow his teaching, his way of life. And the teaching and the way of life of Jesus is clearly calling us to do less. And so we, 
we should do what Jesus did. I mean, it's, it's that simple and that challenging, right? We should do what Jesus did. If this is what Jesus did, and this is the way that he lived his life, and this is the way he taught his disciples to live their lives, then that's the way we should try to live our lives. Um, Comer asked the question in the book, and it's, he asked a variation of a question that you're very, very familiar with. Okay, you're probably not familiar with the guy who, who started the question, but you're very familiar with the question itself. So that's a, a pastor by the name of Charles Sheldon. And uh, he wrote a really famous book called In His Steps. He wrote it in the late 1800s. And uh, you, you may not know who Charles Sheldon is. Many of us probably don't. You may not have read his book, In His Steps, but you're familiar with his question. Because a hundred years after he wrote the book, a youth minister had the idea of taking his question and putting it into initials and putting it on a little cloth bracelet. You remember this in the 90s? <laughs> I mean, this was this, the WWJD bracelets from the 90s and 2000s. This youth minister came up, they did it for a retreat, and it just took off. It just went viral. Okay, that was based on a question that that guy based most of his sermons around. So Charles Sheldon was a, was a pastor in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, he, was, he was very much ahead of his time. He advocated for gender equality uh, in a time that wasn't popular to advocate for gender equality. He advocated for uh, racial equality and equity in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's because he based most of his sermons around the question, what would Jesus do? And when he asked that question, it caused him to do countercultural things. Many people think that he had some influence on the Brown versus Board of Education decision because that took place, the, the lawsuit started in Topeka. He was already dead at the time that that happened, but a lawyer who grew up in his church argued the case in Kansas before it went to the Supreme Court and the NAACP took it up. And so I mean, when, when you ask that question, what would Jesus do? It's going to cause you to do some very countercultural stuff. It doesn't matter what's socially acceptable. It doesn't matter what's normal. It doesn't matter what the culture's doing. It matters what is Jesus calling me to do. And so Comer asked the question in just a little bit slightly different way, and I like his spin on it. He's asking what would Jesus do, but he asked it this way. He says, how would Jesus live if he were me? That's just a little bit different way of thinking about it. So it's not about what would Jesus do. It's not about how would I respond to these different dilemmas and situations and that kind of thing. It's more about how would Jesus live? What, what rhythms would Jesus have in his life? What would the schedule that Jesus keep? You know, if Jesus had my job, if Jesus had, you know, my family lived in my area, if Jesus had my calendar, um, how would he live if he were me. You see how that, that question just kind of flips that around just a little bit? And Comer's answer to the question is, I think he would slow way down. And if you think about it, that might be one of the most countercultural things we can do right now. Because everything culturally is about speed and increasing and doing more. And, you know, and, and all this technology is designed to help us do more. And to do more in less time, to multitask. How do you multitask and all this kind of stuff? And so, you know, Jesus were me, knowing what I know of his life and the way he lived his life, I think he would slow way, way down. So the question then is, okay, well, how do, how do I do that? Because I don't even know how to do that anymore. How do I do that? 
Um, I want to I want to shift just a little bit, and I want to talk about some practical tips. And these are just three that that I'm that I thought of. You could come up with more. So, as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to come up with more in your small groups. If you're meeting in a small group, um, I hope you'll talk about this in your small group and just you know brainstorm. I mean, I've tried to show you through the Gospels that Jesus rested and Jesus invited us to rest. So Jesus practiced silence and solitude. And so the question is, is how do we practice silence and solitude? And so I was just thinking of different ways that I think we could practice silence and solitude. So I'm going to give you three tips and then we're going to, we're actually going to close with a song. Um, but the first one is get off the technology and get outside. And you knew that was coming. You know I'm going to talk about phones every week, right? Um, you're still coming. I appreciate that. But uh, it just keeps coming up, and it keeps coming up, keeps coming up. Uh, my son has a phrase that he utters often, and it only takes about two minutes for him to utter this phrase. Like if it's, <laughs> it takes me 15 seconds, so you know where he gets it. But if it's silent for two minutes or there's nothing to do for two minutes, he says, I'm bored. I'm bored. He said all the time, like five or six times a day. 10 times a day, 15 times a day, I'm bored, I'm bored. And every time he says that, I'm like, how are you bored? How could you possibly be bored? Look around this house. you got a phone, you got an iPad, you got a Nintendo Switch. I mean, how in the world could you possibly be bored? And it's probably because he's got an iPad <laughs> and a Nintendo Switch and a TV and all like that. That's probably why he's bored, because if you look at the research about these things, they're not making us less bored. You're like, oh, well, you fill up your time with all of this information and all this technology and all that kind of stuff. Nobody will ever be bored again. It was like the 60s when they were doing research on work, and they're like, you know, people are working so much less. By the time we hit the 2000s, the problem is going to be too much free time for people. People are going to have too much free time once you get to 2000. We're going to have to build some parks and stuff to, to deal with all this leisure time people are going to have. Well, of course it didn't happen. Well, with technology today, they're like, nobody's ever going to be bored again. You got, I mean, you got, it's not like the old days when you had to play solitaire on the Apple II. I mean, you got all kind of stuff. You can play any kind of game you want. You'll never be bored again. But guess what technology is making us? It, it, the inability to be like, we, we don't even know how to be bored anymore. We don't know. And, and they're saying that's hurting us. That's hurting us because it's when you're bored that you usually do your planning and your dreaming and your thinking and and that's where you get creative. And that's where you get curious about things. We don't know how to be curious anymore. Right? You remember the old days when you, you had a question and you didn't know the answer to? And you had to get curious and you got like, you might have to go to the library and check out an encyclopedia and look up the answer to it. Or you might have to call your mom and like, how many quarts to a gallon again? I can't remember. Like, and I love having the Google answer machine. I do love the Google answer machine, but it's making us dumber. And, and the YouTube attention machine is making us have shorter attention spans, and, it, and it's not healthy for us. And so I like what my wife, when she talks, whenever he says I'm bored, this is what she tells him, then go outside. That's a much better answer. Then go outside. Go outside and find something to do. And I think that's probably what a lot of us need to hear too. When, when we get, like if we're really looking for some silence and solitude, go outside. Get off the technology and go outside. Don't take your phone with you. That doesn't count. <laughs> Get off the technology and go outside and just force yourself. This is something that we will have to force ourselves to do because we're, it's, we're so, we've grown so accustomed to being busy and so accustomed to noise that we'll have to force ourselves to be silent. 
but it's worth it to force ourselves to be silent. Here's the second one, and I talk about this one a lot, but I, it works. That's why I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to keep talking about it because it works. Schedule it. Schedule the silence. Uh, put it in your phone. Make an appointment. Silence. <laughs> whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, uh, schedule it. Schedule the time and then keep that appointment. We schedule everything else in our life. We schedule work appointments. We schedule gym appointments. We schedule doctor appointments. Everything else that's important to us, we schedule it. We put it in there and we say, well, I'm going to make time at this particular time. And it's a, this is a schedule. It's just another way of saying make time. Because the reason people don't practice silence and solitude or a quiet time is I just don't have the time. I'm too busy. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. We all have the same seven days in a week. It's about what we schedule it. It's what, where, where we make the priorities. So put it in your calendar. And when somebody wants to interrupt that time, all you got to tell them is, I'm sorry, I've already got an appointment that day. <laughs> I, I mean, that, those words right there will set you free. I promise you. If you schedule, you schedule the break, the day off. And somebody texts you, hey, can you come over and do such and such? Can you come over and do this? Can you do this? Oh, I'm sorry. I've already got an appointment. Can we do it another day? You don't have to tell them who the appointment's with. Okay? You don't, I mean, or, you know, if somebody, hey, you know, 8 in the morning, they're like, hey, can you meet me at 8 in the morning? No, I'm sorry. I got an appointment at 8 o'clock. I can meet you at 9, but I got an appointment at 8. You don't have to tell them the appointment's with God. They don't need to know that. Uh, and if, if you did tell them, it would be a little pretentious. So don't tell them. <laughs> okay? that would, just tell them, I got an appointment. I mean, that's the, that's the best way. Like, if we make an appointment with other people, we generally honor that appointment. For the most part, we try our best to honor that appointment because we don't want to let that person down. So make an appointment with God, and uh, let's honor that one. And that's, that's the last one I'll mention there is just stick with it. Um, it we will fail at this. Promise, we will fail. I failed in the sermon itself. I was going to take 30 seconds for my quiet time, my great illustration there, and I couldn't do it. Um, we will fail when we do this. There will be days that it just doesn't work. There will be days that there's a pressing interruption, and we just, we just have to. And there will be days that there's no interruption, but we just can't do it. Like mentally, whatever, we just can't do it. Don't give up. Just because you fail one day, don't give up. You know, it's not like when the, when the crowd interrupted Jesus, he was having his quiet time, and the crowd interrupted him, and Jesus is like, okay, that's it. I'll never do it again. You know, that doesn't work. And that's the way we tend to do it. We treat kind of silence and solitude, we kind of treat it like our diets, if you know what I mean. Like, if you, I'm, I'm going to try to eat better. I'm going to try to eat healthy. And you might do that for a day, or you might do that for a week, and then you have one slip-up day. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, that's it. It's over. You know, it's just done. And y'all won't do it again for five months. Um, don't treat silence and solitude like that. Like you know, it, you know you're going to have some days that you slip up. You just make that the exception. Make, the inter- make interruptions the exception, not the rule. You see what I mean? By, like make it the exception. It's, it, it doesn't happen all the time. It does going to happen sometimes, and I just got to deal with it. Sometimes the fuse is going to blow when I show up to church, do my relaxing volunteer job running sound. The fuse is going to blow. That's an exception. That's not the rule. The rule should be rest. Exception is interruptions. The rule should be uh, silence and solitude. The exception is the, the noise. And so we, get, we have to flip our way of thinking around. Uh, let me pray for us. And while we're doing that, the band's going to come back out because we're going we're to close with a song today. And it's a song about Jesus being the foundation. And I want you to think about it as we're singing the song. We think about that Jesus' example, Jesus example he showed us how to do this. So my tips, they're interesting, but Jesus showed us how to do it if we'll just learn to follow the ways of Jesus. So let me pray about that. Father, I, 
I'm thankful for uh, the Gospels. And right now I'm just thinking about Luke. I'm thankful that Luke was a, a researcher and a historian and he, he talked to eyewitnesses and he came up with a, And he felt like it was important enough to include in his Gospel that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And then maybe there's a good reason that Luke put that in there. Maybe there's a good reason you inspired him to write that, to remind us that your son had some habits that we are, are losing in our day and time. And in our culture, we're having a harder time with those habits. And so I pray that you help us to make Jesus the foundation of our life, make your son the foundation of life, and help us to be followers of his way and his teaching. May we take his yoke upon us. Because we know that it is good for us. We know it's better for us. And so I pray you help all of us to take his yoke upon us and uh, to follow in his way of life. And we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful not only for the salvation that comes from him, but we're thankful for his teaching that leads us to live in better ways and to have healthier relationships and, and healthier interactions with others and a closer relationship with you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.